and develop speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. Silence! The great and powerful Oz knows why you have come. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature. Don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, or what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. <laughs> Jason Burmes. And who loves you? And who do you love? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It is Reality Rants. I am Jason Burmes. I hope everybody is having a great day out there. Really bright and early. So, um, a bunch to discuss out of the gates. Um, first of all, I want to thank my uh, friend in the Burmes Brigade, my neighbor to the north out in Canada that sent me this book to unzip jeans. Um, we're going to be going over this uh, in the beginning of the show at quite some length, really, really the first chapter, just to show you uh, how openly this book advocates in 1997, not only for eugenics, really transhumanism, the end of the nuclear family, um, but promotes the quote unquote new woman with uh, Martine Rothblatt right there. Um, as that new woman all the way back in the 70s. It actually uh, dedicates this. Uh, let me read it word for word. I don't want to uh, I don't want to get it wrong, okay? Um, but let's see the author's preface right here. Yes, let's just read this. Um, she's talking uh, about her soulmate, Bina Aspen Rothblatt. Now that is uh, Martin Rothblatt's wife that stayed with Martine Rothblatt. Um, as that transition occurred, she never wavered in her support for the themes and messages of this book. And remember, uh, Bina is also the replicated robot in the Terrasim religion. Can't make this stuff up. Indeed, she never rested in demanding that I finish the book for the benefit of people everywhere, but especially for the women of tomorrow. The Women of Tomorrow. And back in 1997, um, to convey many of these ideas, um, they would have to use the language of that day, which they are now trying to antiquate. They're trying to uh, change all around. So I think it's going to be really uh, interesting when we finally do get to um, read. Um, you know, I think we're going to just read word for word the preface that outright in the beginning tells you that everybody 
endorses some form of eugenics and we're going to have positive eugenics in the in the future. Really, it was just Hitler and the Nazis and the gang that gave it a bad name. It's a great science. We need to move forward. And, you know, we're going to dissect that word for word in this book uh, today in the first hour. Before we get there, I am also going to play a clip from the war uh, uh, rally out in D.C., Rage Against the War Machine, which I think had some really great speakers and guests uh, headlined by the likes of Ron Paul, really the OG in <sighs> rational thought in government, warnings about globalism, the benefits of communication and non-interventionalism, um, somebody who's advocated for sound money, um, someone who's advocated for the reigning in of all of the intelligence agencies, CIA and FBI amongst them, somebody who has been a liberty advocate throughout his career and one of the only people I have seen not corrupted by the system. Headlined by Ron Paul. Wow, what a, what a great thing. And then I have a lot of friends and friends of the show uh, that not only attended and spoke at the event. Now, uh, the event itself, you can find the whole thing. It's about four hours long. A lot of people tried to demonize this event. Look, I'm not going to agree with everybody up there. Okay. No big deal. But I do agree that we have a situation right now where we have an openly puppeted regime that is escalating a global conflict to a point where there may actually be no return and hard repercussions for people here in the United States, whether we want to pretend otherwise or not. Where's old Joey B today? Oh, it's, it's Zelensky town. Let's shake the Zelensky hand. What? I believe it's President's Day, and the puppet in chief is over in the Ukraine pledging pension dollars. Pledging pension dollars. How many people here that have stood upright and believed in the system and gone to work 40 to 60 hours a week for 48 to 50 weeks a year for the last 10 to 20 years? in a soul-crushing position so they could feed that 401k, so they could invest in their future, so they could pay their mortgage. Hmm? How many, how many of those people actually took a hit? This administration will never tell you. They'll just be like, you know what? Train derailment over in Ohio, huh? Hmm. Let's not clean it up. Let's say we're cleaning it up in a controlled burn. Most people are poor anyway, right? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was watching uh, Gutfeld uh, last week. And, and last week, uh, we'll, we'll get into another story, but um, two guests on there that I thought were interesting and worth noting. Uh, one, Roseanne Barr, and the other, Kurt Metzger. And actually, I got to meet Kurt this weekend. I'll get into that rant in a moment. Great guy, really fun, really funny. Uh, I had a fun weekend, and we'll get there. But Roseanne Barr, in particular, 
was was saying they're trying to kill us. It's because they're trying to kill us. Now, a lot of people can try to disregard what Roseanne Barr says. She's um, she can be verbally crass, right? Uh, but but what she is always is direct, and she's not a dumb person. Okay, now does that mean she gets everything right? No, but that's somebody within a very, very, very destructive, disturbing system, Holly Weird, was, was able to dominate for a long time. I mean, dominate. It, it's not easy, especially in the era that she came up, uh, late 80s, early 90s, in the sitcom world, to, to stick around for a few seasons, let around, she was like over, over a decade. And then not only that, come back, do it again, revive the show, have the number one show. And then just, it's not about money anymore or profits. It's about an idea set because the, the money doesn't matter as much as the resources and the control over your mind does. All right. And that that kind of gets me into another story that, that I want to cover briefly before we hit pasta, before we hit a little unzip jeans. And then... Uh, did an interview like a month ago um, with the probably canceled podcast. Uh, young lady, Bridget, um, has kind of an NPR voice where I really get into Rothblatt and a ton of other subject matters, how I came up, um, really the whole political system. I thought it was a really good one and uh, really it hasn't been seen by this audience. So it's going to be something we play uh, probably at the end of the uh, first hour into the second hour of premium. And, and by the way, also want to thank all of you that have gone premium over at redvoicemedia.com slash Jason, redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored are watching that second hour of the broadcast are supporting the show. Uh, you know, I had a great conversation with Ray Dietrich, who's going to be on this week. Uh, we're going to be talking the police and we're going to be talking about these kind of um, undercover units that which he was a part of. And I think that's going to be a really constructive conversation uh, in light of uh, the Nichols incident and others, quite frankly, uh, throughout history, you know, especially in this country where we kind of have to look to that. All right. The story I wanted to, to cover that kind of leads me in is, is one uh, from the UFC, actually. Whoa, we're right. This isn't mixed martial mindset, Jason. This isn't mixed martial mindset. Okay. So basically, Nate Marquardt, ex-UFC guy, ex-Strike Force guy, um, Strike Force champion at one point, and uh, somebody who challenged for the belt, top contender for a long time. Somebody I enjoyed watching fight, had his ups and downs in his career. But he makes a comment that essentially at three or four in the afternoon, if he's on the, the West Coast, it's something else. ESPN Plus, which is a subsidiary of Disney, is running a commercial commercial for HIV. Okay. And, and you know, I don't want to misquote them. Let's see if they have the actual quote without them saying it. Let's, let, let's, let's take it right here. Okay. So he says, wow, disgusting commercial watching at ESPN Plus with my kids and have to tell them to look away so they don't see two men kissing. Okay. And look, yeah, there he is. 
He's he's wearing the the uh, the Jesus is King, you know, Christian gloves. Now here was my comment as the same thing happens. I didn't say disgusting. I'm not here to stop anybody's lifestyle. I looked to my brother, and I said, first of all, how many HIV positive people are possibly watching this in what is clearly uh, an American, if not just North American market. And honestly, I don't think it's North American because I'm pretty sure that uh, the deal they have running up in Canada is not ESPN Plus. It's with their sister company. ESPN has a sister company called TSN. They cover the UFC there. Okay, just pointing that out. But in order to watch this card in, you know, on ESPN Plus, just like any other pay-per-view, you have to be subscribed to this thing. This is a middle-of-the-day commercial. Okay? Now, I've often talked about on this show, why are there so many drugs for HIV all of a sudden? How many HIV-positive people? I mean, I see more commercials now for HIV and preventatives and shots and all these other things to do with HIV than almost anything else, right? Uh, you know, other than what we all went through in the past few years. I'm not even going to say it, but you, you know what I'm talking about. As far as advertisements go, this is the big thing. And let me say this, I can remember maybe a week back, probably the, the previous week because they've been doing it like eight weeks in a row, where it may not have been four in the afternoon, it may have been seven or eight or nine, but I, I remember there was another HIV commercial different than this one where there was an overweight, effeminate black man amongst others talking about how easy he is in the commercial. Like that's the goo. Like they're all sitting there talking about each other and, and why they need to take this HIV drug as a preventative. And he's talking about how easy he is. And, and where am I going with this? I'm going, who are they trying to sell this to? How much of the UFC audience, the core demographic, which is obviously male, which is in like probably the 18 to 55 bracket for the most part, that's probably the vast majority of their 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 uh, their audience, and, and more than likely what um, straight. Not all of them. I'm not saying gay people can't like the UFC. I'm talking about demographics and business. Period. And it's contrived. Why is this happening? So you know, in the in the one particular HIV commercial, you know, um, it is. It's a lot of. Guys looking at guys, and then by the end of it, yes, they're they're kissing in midday. I can understand why Nate Marquardt would be upset with that. But I think the larger picture um, is why is this constantly being pushed on us? Why this why why is big pharma taken over? And why HIV in particular over the last several years has that been the push? It's a question, you know, I have my speculations about, but we'll get there in a moment. We're going to get here too. unzip jeans. Okay. But first I want to talk about, uh, this weekend, my brother, uh, made the long trek 14 hours, uh, from New York. That That's about how long it takes to go from the left to the right coast. Everybody, um, you know, for, for a guy like me, it's, it's not always easy, believe it or not, not always easy to do, but we, we, we tend to do it like in one shot, me and him, um, he comes over and he gets there late Friday night, 
watch a little bit of one FC. That's kind of what we do is we watch a lot of fights. doesn't matter what organizations. And I was lucky enough um, that one of my buddies here in the Quad Cities uh, is a local comedian. And, I, you know, I, I've seen him all once over at a mansion probably like a year and a half ago um, as, as an opener and kind of like a host. Really good guy. He comes over, watches a lot of the fights as well. And uh, last week when he was over, he's like, you know what? I'm opening up for Kurt Metzger. For those unfamiliar with Kurt, very funny comedian. Um, he's the other guest I was talking about on Gutfeld on a completely uh, different show. Often on Jimmy Dore. You see him uh, over there. So I was like, oh, that's awesome. Uh, he's like, dude, I'd love for you to come. I'll comp you some tickets. Um, come on down. I'm like, great. My brother's going to be up. I tell my brother. My brother's happy about it as well. He watches a lot of Jimmy Dore. He thinks Kurt's a funny guy. We go there. It's about a two-hour trip because we go to Wisconsin. Go to a place called Janesville, Wisconsin. Never been there. Um, but, hey, my, my brother's trucking in these things. But I drove this one. He got some sleep in. Uh, fly from America to Australia in 14 hours. Yeah, well, we drive it. We drive it, Mad Cow Mark. That's how big the country it is. And we're only, like, midway to the left coast. So um, right away when we get there, you know, I text uh, Donnie. We actually get to have a great conversation with Kurt. Um, the other comedians are really funny. Sit down, have a good time, hung out afterwards. And I talked a lot of transhumanism and Martin Rothblatt. And I also explained to him about Tesla and their partnership with CureVac. Um, I threw a lot in there. I threw a lot at Kurt. Hopefully I didn't overwhelm you, brother. Um, but, you know, we exchanged numbers and he actually texted me later, later um, interested in Rothblatt. OK, so when I when I was explaining this to him, he had seen the robot. He didn't understand the story. In other words, he'd seen the Bina 48 robot, didn't know about Martine, didn't understand. You know, there was a book out there from transgender to transhuman. And that's really what a lot of this is about. You losing your biological identity so they can take control of all biology. Taking charge of baby making in the new millennium. Well, thank you, Martine. Well, thank you. Fantastic. So um, my brother and I also got to watch some fights. He took off yesterday. Um, absolutely love him. Family's important. That's the only reason I didn't go to the war rally. Okay, that'd be a good segue into this. Uh, otherwise, I probably... Um, I would have put my bootstraps on. I would have taken off after the Thursday show here. And I would have uh, driven out to D.C. and covered uh, covered it that way. Because, I, you know, that that I, I, they had a really good lineup. I'm going to play just one speech from here. Uh, my boy, Pasta Jardula, friend of the show. You know, uh, Bernie Sanders, 2016 guy. All right, has woken up immensely to the illusion of the two-party system uh thought he did a great job up there and you know it, it's tough sometimes you're up there in front of thousands of people you know I, I've, I've been there and uh, I, I thought he did a great job he talked about smedley butler so uh without further ado let's let's bring this up and uh let's play some pasta jardula Yo, let's give it up for Nick Brown and Angela for putting this on. And let's go with the flow. Free Julian Assange. 
Say it again. Free Julian Assange. All right, before we get started, I need everybody to take their phone out really quickly and uh, mark yourself safe from a Chinese spy balloon. Can you do that real quick? Go ahead there. So, who knows about General Smedley Butler out here? Right? I can't believe nobody's even mentioned him today. War is a racket. He gave a speech almost 90 years ago, and uh, General Smedley Butler was a senior Marine Corps officer who fought in both the Mexican Revolutionary War and World War I. At the time of his death, Butler was the most decorated Marine in U.S. history. During his 34-year career, he participated in military actions in the Philippines, China, Central America, the Caribbean, and France. But later in his years, Butler became an outspoken critic of the wars and their consequences. In 1935, he gave this beautiful speech called War is a Racket. I'm just going to read the first paragraph. It says, War is a Racket. It has always been. It is possibly the oldest and easiest, most profitable, surely the most vicious. It is the only one international in scope. It is the only one which profits are reckoned in dollars and losses in lives. A racket can be best described as something that is not what it seems to the majority of people. It is only a small inside group that knows what it's about. It is conducted for the benefit of the very few and at the expense of the many. Out of war, few people make huge fortunes. And the crazy thing is, is it's the same today as it was back then. War is still a racket. As it was a racket in Vietnam when the government lied to us about the Gulf of Tonkin. False flags incite and appear to justify war. Don't be fooled, they're still doing it today. But companies like Dow Chemical made millions producing, producing dangerous gases used to suffocate and kill the women and children of Vietnam, destroy their agriculture and their civilization. Has anybody ever heard of napalm? Dow Chemical. And did I mention that all wars are bankers' wars? Let me hear you say it. All wars are bankers' wars. And war is still a racket. As it was in Nicaragua when the CIA conducted a civil war by selling crack cocaine in the United States. They killed black people at home and brown people in Latin America. The prison industrial complex exploded. It's increased almost 700% since the 1970s with mandatory minimums. Tell me, is war still a racket? And did I also mention that all wars are bankers' wars? You're damn straight over there. And war is still a racket, the same way it was in Iraq. When people refused to, to, to deal with the fact that Saddam did not have chemicals or weapons, Okay, one man tried to stop the war, but it didn't happen. So I say all wars are still bankers wars, are they not? You're damn straight. Now, the first thing we have to do is realize that we have no friends here in Washington. For we have a Congress that is more like professional wrestling, the Democrats. And no, let me say this much. They are not the lesser of two evils. These parties, they appear to be oppositions, but they're really not. 
And what are the Democrats? They are the let's send weapons to Ukraine Democrats, the let's invade Haiti Democrats, the let's sanction the hell out of Syria Democrats, the oh, I like this one, the we came, we saw, he died Democrats. <laughs> They're also the CIA and the FBI are now the good guy Democrats. Basically, they are the Trump derangement syndrome Democrats. In other words, they're just the synthetic left. And the Republicans, are they really any better? Really? I mean, let's not forget that this Ukraine war wouldn't have started if it wasn't for Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell going to Ukraine in 2016 and then talking to Nazis to go invade the Donbass. Mitch McConnell was just seeing Zelensky last year in a delegation with the Republicans. Let's not forget, they're also the Afghan war and the Iraq war Republicans. Let's sanction the hell of the Nicaraguans, Venezuela and Cuba because they're socialist Republicans. The let's take on China because of a balloon Republicans. They are in essence, this, we still remember who you are Republicans. And yes, Matt Gates is now floating a bill out there to end the Ukraine war, and that's great. You want to end war, so be it. I'm all for it. Frankly, I think you're a little bit too late because almost a quarter of a million people are dead. But let me just say this to the, uh, the Republicans out there right now. Don't think for one second, for one second, we're, we're going to let you defund a war in Kiev against Moscow and then take that money over to Taiwan and start another proxy war with Beijing. It's not going to happen. Did I mention that all wars are bankers wars? Let me hear you say it. So here's my speech. It's all messed up as the wind is blowing, but let me just finish it up with this. Let's just ditch it. So this is the hard part, right? We understand what we're up against. We understand that we have no friends here in Washington. So what do we do? What do we do? This hasn't been the first time this has happened before. They had major protests against the Iraq war. They had major protests against Vietnam. But yet, we're back to where we started from. And I know it's kind of trite to say, hey, we got to come together, but we must. The ruling class has definitely separated us. They got us fighting against each other. So all we can do is get in there and get dirty and have some robust discourse. We got to cancel, cancel culture. We got to forget about our isms and talk. We can't play red team, blue team anymore, because if we do, we'll surely die. So I just want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak here today. Remember that all wars are bankers wars and let's do the work. Let's come together. Let's love. Let's fight back and let's rage against the war machine. Thank you all so much. My man. My man. Great job. Great job. Always, always love um, watching people that personally i like you know i like the guy uh i've seen him put in the work um just great speech you know good good job my friend really appreciate that all right
Let's move on to the meat and potatoes of this hour. Unzipped jeans take about, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes on this book. Then we're going to move it over um, to this interview with the probably canceled podcast. Of course, by the end of the hour, we'll be shifting gears and going to the premium part of the broadcast. You can get the audio free via Podbean. We do that live. We're trying to expand, expand, expand. Um, you know, again, can't thank Ray enough. You guys have to understand, you know, he's financially taking a bath on me. I, I know, l- listen, I know not everybody can go premium on, on everything. I know everybody's out there. They got an Amazon Prime, right? They, they got the Netflix, okay? They got the, the Hulu ESPN Plus Disney package. They got cable on time. You, again, 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 again. I'm just telling you, um, that I, it is amazing to find an outlet that says, you know what, say what you want. That's that's those are the conversations we have. Say what you want. You know, he, he appreciates the fact that, um, you know, I, I'm bringing you what I believe to be the real news. I'm quoting my sources, and when I'm giving an opinion, I say it's an opinion. But I, I want people to think about this. Out of all the balloon hysteria, I mean, pasta started with the balloon joke, right? Not having an inside guy like Hirsch did, who was the closest to reality in the alternative media about that whole thing once most of the facts came out? Who was the closest to reality? I didn't get it perfect. Came pretty damn close. Not sure I really got any part of it wrong. But we try to have discernment here. And that's why, you know, we look at historical records. So I'm, I'm going to read you this. I, I wish I could do it in a fine British accent. Like, like, like if I could just switch on the Paul Joseph Watson right now, I would. Uh, by the way, 148 watching over at YouTube. Can we get 100 thumbs up? Can we get this out there, guys? Can we spread uh, the message of Reality Rants Monday through Thursday, 8 a.m. Eastern? So, I mean, this is the, the editor's forward right here. Okay, on Didn't write this, haven't even highlighted it, read some things. Eugenics is a word that often elicits the most negative images, and rightly so. After all, it was not long ago that the Nazis tried and failed to extinguish the genes of Jews, gypsies, and others. Glad they threw gypsies and others in there. Um, I uh, I would have liked them to include the others, such as homosexuals, such as um, the mentally and physically disabled, right? One after the week is such as the political dissidents, even Freemasons. You know, there, there was a large group uh, of people that were, were uh, put into that pool. And in 1927, the United States Supreme Court declared in Buck versus Bell that the eugenic sterilization of the feeble-minded was constitutional. Oh. According to no less a uh, jurisprudential luminary uh, than Oliver Wendell Holmes, the principle that sustains compulsory vaccination is broad enough to cover the fallopian tubes. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. So again, I'm reading a Supreme Court justice decision, a quote, in the very first paragraph of this book, 
talking about the V to sterilize the feeble-minded. I want everybody just to breathe that in, that that's how this book begins and how relevant this book actually is today. Hard to get. I mean, you're spending 30 plus bucks on uh, on the paperback if you want it. Again, Firmus Brigade, thank you so much for giving me this. Okay? Indeed, eugenics is often associated with the image of Mary Shelley's Dr. Frankenstein, who, in seeking to use science to create perfect life, caused great tragedy for his creature as well as for society. And I believe that um, it was a Ray Bradbury, it's either uh, Ray Bradbury or Isaac Asimov uh, interview. I think I, I've watched a couple of them recently. I'm going to have to go find those. Uh, maybe we'll play them later in the week you know I, I promised to play that harari clip maybe i should play that too before we play this other one where he basically says that they're ready to get rid of most of us and that's why uh people are feeling un uneasy because they're not part of the next story you are the feeble-minded okay you get it and they're telling you this is the the frankenstein model oh lovely but this view of eugenics is both limited and limiting the reality is that on some level, we all endorse some notion of eugenics. Oh, do we? Oh, do we now? You know, I, I think that's pretty a pretty broad spectrum when we say that. But when, when people are going to decide what, what stock is better, mm, what stock? Our, our genetics in some cases, uh, literally are derived inherently from our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, etc. Those traits do exist. There's something called nature, and there's something called nurture. Okay, physical attributes aside, which are obvious. When parents adopt a child, they almost always specify certain characteristics, such as race, sex, and age. In choosing a mate, we implicitly make decisions about our offspring. When a Swedish person and a Chinese person choose to mate, they have made a decision about their preference for, or at least the tolerance of, a mixed child. The tolerance for a mixed child. Jeez, I thought we were just one species, the human species. But hey, 1997, mixed children. Women have long used various means ranging from consuming uh, uh, the penises of exotic animals to praying to using modern uh, concoctions designed to increase alkalinity, alkalinity and decrease acidity in the reproductive tract in order to increase the chances of ha having a male. And by the way, this is when they were uh, still referring to things instead of gender as sex and still male and female, right? And, and haven't pushed the language barriers as far yet. Just wanna put that, put that out there. Um, and sperm and egg banking, uh, which allow the genetic uh, consumer literally to choose from a menu of various demographic characteristics are no longer all that controversial. Personal eugenics has been with us a long time. And in general, the law does not intervene in personal eugenic choices. 
Blind people are at liberty to produce blind children. There are no laws that forbid procreation by obese or bald people, nor should there be. Can you imagine that? Okay. First of all, uh, obesity, although you may be more prone to be a certain body type at some level, again, that's nurture, not nature, right? Now that it's literally your environment and what you're putting into your body and you know what kind of physical activity you're doing. That's a reality. Okay, can we acknowledge that? That's a bit contrived. Um, or by people who are likely to pass diseases onto their offspring. Oh, you could pass a disease. Ooh. Although there may be some limits in some places on the use of artificial biotechnology, such as sperm and egg banks, to facilitate personal eugenics choices, these restrictions are often avoidable by those who want to use such technologies and have the money to seek alternatives. What, like a Jeffrey Epstein baby-making ranch out in New Mexico when you got that scratch and cheese? Like something like that? Huh. We may disagree about what constitutes biological harm, but we generally agree that a basic notion of human rights includes the right to make at least certain decisions about the type of children that we have. There is, however, new technology on the horizon that will make it possible for people and governments. Ooh. And governments. Mm. Mm-hmm. To have greater control than ever over these eugenic choices. In 1989, Congress initiated the Human Genome Project, which, which is really the inspiration, according to the back cover for the book which is being coordinated primarily by the National Institute of Health and the Department of Energy. Oh, the Department of Energy. First of all, hats off to the NIH. I think most of my audience has really fallen in love with the NIH over the past several years. Big fans. (laughs) Big fans. But again and again and again on this show, we talk about what? The Department of Energy. Because the Department of Energy, in large part, has been a front for massive human experimentation, most of which we don't know about. Over the past six, seven decades, Department of Energy, mentioned by Annie Jacobson in Area 51, uh, in her book, actually talked about Area 51 uh, with Ray, not the, the place, but the book. Uh, this weekend. And I talked about Annie Jacobson and transhumanism with Kurt. I live and breathe this stuff. Okay. And I do it smiling. We're smiling while reading some pretty dark stuff right here. Okay. So, uh, you know, these terms, Department of Energy, they're innocuous for a reason. In fact, when Clinton had to come out with that big binder of a report, of the kind of human experimentation we did on people without their knowledge, which which just scratched the surface. So many people want to go Tuskegee, Tuskegee, Tuskegee. We have shown you here on this show, as I've reported for over a decade, they gave the feeble-minded, disabled children in this country, in Brooklyn hospitals who had terminal cancer, they injected them with things like hepatitis and herpes, injected them with it. 
They experimented on mentally disabled children uh, in this country, and we know about it. As you're going to see in the interview we're going to play, looks like we're only going to get a small piece of it here uh, on the uh, the non-premium side. So I'm encouraging you to please support the broadcast. Support the broadcast. Support the broadcast. Redvoicemedia.com slash Jason. Or just listen to the rest of the show over at Podbean. And by the way, every day, every day we do a show, the whole second hour gets unlocked. I do post little things here and there. I post a little bit more to Rockfin and Rumble. Rockfin in particular, because we we have the personal sponsors there, which are great. And I thank you for that as well. Um, but you get them all immediately, everything, whole second hour. Every day I do this, there's a new one released if you're not a premium member over at Red Voice Media. Love Red Voice Media. Top notch. <sighs> Although most funding for the project comes from the United States, governments around the world are involved in the worldwide research effort intended to map each human gene, of which there are an essential 50,000 to 100,000, and to understand the function of each in most human cells. There is a genetic blueprint or genotype of the entire person. These cells each contain 23 pairs of chromosomes, which consi consist of deoxyribonucleic acid, DNA. A molecule of DNA consists of two strands that resemble a ladder twisted into a spiral configuration that is referred to as a double helix. Hey, we got, we got some fifth grade education in here. I like that. But again, 1997 Human Genome Project, very different. Can we get 100 thumbs up over there? Extra strand of DNA consists of a linear arrangement of units called nucleotides, which are composed of one sugar, one phosphate, and one nitrogenous base. Uh, the two strands of DNA are held together by weak bonds between the nitrogenous base, forming base pairs. There are some 3 billion base pairs of DNA. A gene is a specific sequence of these nucleotide bases ranging from fewer than 1,000 bases to several million. Each gene provides the information necessary to produce proteins that are uh, responsible for individual human traits. Okay. I want to come back to the book later on. Uh, we'll probably wrap up with the book as well. But what I do want people to understand is that sex and uh, the genie of life is the first part. The first chapter is the Holocaust of sex. And they're, and they're talking about, again, th this is all eugenics. It's pro, again, it literally says personal eugenics, my personal, my perfect baby uh, on page 41. Social eugenics, my perfect society. Positive eugenics, grow the genome. Negative eugenics, gas the genome. Medical eugenics, cure the genome. I mean, bioethics of birth. I mean, this, this is it. This is it. In fact, uh, I believe the term transgenics is used in the first uh, paragraph or in the preface, but we'll get there. We will get there. Uh, right now, what I want to do is I want to uh, cut to this interview. <clears throat> Again, this uh, young lady, very NPR-like, kind of uh, reminded me of uh, Natasha Leone. And by the end of this interview, we are talking about a multiple, a multitude of things, especially uh, Martine Rothblatt and transhumanism. Okay, and I think it's an important topic that we need to keep discussing. That's why it's highlighted on today's broadcast. Look, 
We can do the clickbaity stuff. We can do the secret super squirrel sources, rumor stuff. We can do the hot topic of today stuff. It's not really not interested. You know, let's make what the hot topic is. Let's have the larger discussion. You know, let's go deeper than just the surface level. So uh, here we go. Here is that interview right now. My name is Bridget and I'm your host. And today I am excited to have here with me the legendary citizen journalist and documentary producer, Jason Burmis. We're going to be talking about some fun subjects such as the World Economic Forum and the PSYOP that is Elon Musk. So I'm really looking forward to it because this stuff is really important to both Jason and myself. But Jason has been doing a lot of reporting on it. So anyway, how are you today, Jason? I am very good. Good. Yeah, I, I'm really glad to have you here. And I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time, actually, because you are a sophomore in high school. And I was like, whoa, the government's like <laughs> to a degree that I did not conceptualize at that age. And uh, from there, like that really started my journey of just questioning everything and being skeptical about everything. But I'm sure a lot of people listening have also seen that documentary, Loose Change. So thank you for making that. Um, but also, do you want to talk about a little bit about your background and the work that you do? Yeah, uh, you know, I guess I'm a documentary filmmaker. Uh, Loose Change is probably what I'm best known for, but I did a follow-up film uh, called Fabled Enemies about 9-11 that doesn't focus really on any of the physical anomalies and instead uh, goes into the international intelligence operation and how it was conducted, the role players, um, you know, the groups like the Pakistani ISI and the Israeli Mossad and then the continuity of government program here. Uh, I then went on to work for InfoWars. I was the first guy that Alex Jones ever gave their own show to. Uh, at the time I was there, he produced not only that film uh, Fabled Enemies, but I came back and he uh, produced a film called Invisible Empire, A New World Order Defined. And, you know, I'd always thought the term New World Order was kind of goofy and, you know, almost sci-fi, something the Christians beat their chest about. And it was through my research I found it was anything but. And it was, you know, terminology and ideology that had been around um, for about a century at the time. Uh, Samuel Zane Batten's uh, work, The New World Order, was as far back as I could uh, trace that specific phrase based in uh, a collectivist authoritarian ideology. Uh, and then I also made a film called Shade the Motion Picture, which is now, believe it or not, almost 10 years old. That's the last film that I've made. I've become sort of a talking head. I've done talk radio. I've been around, you know, internet commentary before live streaming was a thing. And currently I am lucky enough to be working for uh, Red Voice Media and doing a daily show Monday through Thursday, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern time. That's awesome. Yeah, after your documentary that I saw when I was really when I was young that's how I kind of segued into like the Alex Jones territory and got like super into him in high school too so it's crazy to see how how people have come to discover him as a, and his work as a person since then and uh the the complete insane demonization and like his recent court case is just absolutely what like what are your thoughts on that I'm curious to hear you know it's tough because 
I think Alex got a lot wrong on Sandy Hook. Um, that was a little bit after my exit, but I was also very much in touch with people that had still worked there. And, you know, we had little IM chats and we would send each other stories and information. And especially on that one, I was sending uh, certain things that never really got covered by InfoWars. And at the same time, I was warning them against uh, the idea of crisis actors or children not dying. Uh, I've done a bunch of work on that. So I, I thought that Alex would actually um, lose the vast majority of the Sandy Hook cases in the case of defamation. Now, as to the length of that loss, I didn't think that he would be defaulted and un unable to say that he was innocent because obviously uh, the vast majority of those people, he never said by name. Now, did Robbie Parker or somebody uh, you know else, uh, one of the other family members, I believe he, he named have a case? Possibly. Um, at the same time, even if he was to be found uh, guilty, et cetera, it should have been on a much larger, I'm sorry, smaller scale, right? Um, somewhere in in the tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands in damages. I think millions would have been pushing it, and they took it to a new level and demonized the guy to the tune of being the billion dollar man. Now you have, you know, literal multi-billion dollar corporations like Bear, for instance, uh, that back in uh, the late 80s, early 90s, actually injected live HIV virus into people. I know that sounds uh, fantastical and it couldn't have happened. Well, I assure you, everybody, it did. Uh, they knowingly did this. Uh, they injected people in the United States, got caught, sent it off to Europe and Japan after the fact. Uh, as far as I know, they didn't pay out billions of dollars, not even close. Most people signed NDAs. You could talk about the opioid crisis and the rulings there. They didn't pay out billions of dollars. You could even go as far as to look at the Monsatan cases that I think uh, justly and rightfully are finding that their glyphosate product um, is causing cancer. They're not paying to the tune of billions of dollars. So uh, I am hopeful that somewhere in the appeals process, uh, Alex is able to fight it and, and at least get those judgments overturned, hopefully get a new trial. Uh, but in the post-truth world we live in, where lawfare is being waged um, at an expansive and extremely heavy, heavy-handed uh, manner to people that oppose the narrative, I don't know that I'm that hopeful. Yeah, I've never seen anything quite like that as far as not only the censorship goes, but I mean, because plenty of people t say false things online all fucking day long. But it really seems like you know, he was made an, an example of in this era where you'll get censored almost almost for anything. <laughs> I've been censored personally a number of times, but um Th that case is particularly terrifying to me, as well as the the recent banks shutting down individuals' bank accounts. It's like these are two new things that I didn't even think were necessarily possible, but this is something that is that people are cheering on. They're like actually cheering that on when they see that happening to individuals. <laughs> but but anyway, um, I kind of shared my story of how. I went down the rabbit hole initially, but I'm curious to hear your story of how you 
came to do the work that you do and like and just have the worldview that you have well certainly 9-11 is what pushed it over the top and uh being you know i was 22 at the time uh the internet was really a burgeoning thing uh, i was an internet pirate even then so i was kind of a media junkie uh instead of say torrenting torrenting didn't come to be until about 2004 uh, you were using these peer-to-peer programs like Kazaa, and later people were using LimeWire, only dabbled in that. Uh, Morpheus was another one, and these were kind of like uh, Napster for videos. So I had a large video collection. Uh, I was interested in documentary films, especially UFOs and alien-type information at the time, so I would d- grab all those documentaries. Uh, you know, I was very much aware of the Kennedy assassination, anything in, to do with that or MK Ultra, also uh, kind of piqued my interest. But I didn't think that my government could go as uh, far as 9-11. And, um, you know, after the event, when I first heard the idea initially of, say, uh, something fishy going on at the Pentagon and La Pentagate, I was like, all oh, the French, they'll say anything. Everything's a conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What really drove me to look at 9-11 was that I was, you know, already questioning this run-up to the Iraq war and uh, the idea that the media was trying to link bin Laden and Saddam Hussein. That didn't seem to be real. Uh, It seemed to me that they did want to go in uh, for the oil reserves at that point, and they wanted to make the case um, nefariously. So, you know, that kind of opened me up to questioning uh, my government's motives, right? I thought this was going to be wham, bam, we're in, we're out. We got the bad guy, the whole nine, right? You had Bush on an Air Force uh, hangar going, we got him, you know, we we did it. (laughs) Shock and all. So I'm in my old high school, and it's probably about six months to a year after the attack. And I go into my locker room to go change because I'm playing a men's night basketball game. At the at the time, a couple of my friends I went to high school uh, were now becoming teachers. Uh, they were doing their uh, student teaching thing there, and you know I was going to play ball with them and a couple of my old teachers, etc. So I hadn't been there in a while. And um, in the urinals, you know, and this is this isn't just a high school. This is a middle school slash high school. So you're talking about kids as young as 12. I graduated like 54 kids, so you know, very small school. And I looked down the urinal and you can look these things up. Anybody can see them. Uh, It said Operation Enduring Freedom and it was Bin Laden's face in the toilet. So essentially you had kids as young as 12 pissing on the face of Osama Bin Laden. And something really just clicked with me that that was just insane and wrong. Um, I came up in the generation where we were still kind of at odds with Russia, funny to see that thing uh, come full circle. And we would do duck and cover drills still, the nuclear drills. Um, We we wouldn't do under the desk. We would uniformly go out into the hallway, duck and cover in a row against the walls, and that's how we would do it. And I thought to myself, you know, I never pissed on Putin, or not Putin, uh, Gorbachev's face. That that was never a thing. And then this is just next level. I better make sure that this guy did this. So I, I finish out my, my basketball with everybody. I really don't say anything about it, you know, or how much it's it, it bothers me. But I go home, and it's about an hour away from where I am, and I'm thinking about the entire way. And also, I, I want 
you know, I don't want to get myself too distracted. I want a timeline of 9-11. So I, I come across a website, uh, number timeline.net. And uh, anybody can go check that timeline out still today. A lot of the hyperlinks from it are gone, but it's still up. And it was in the days where, um, you know, maybe you didn't want to read it off your little CRT monitor and you'd print it off. So I printed it off. It was like 40 pages long. And as I'm reading through it, and then I'm actually clicking on the hyperlinks to see if this information is correct. I'm like, man, this is this is really bad. Like in the very beginning, even before we get to uh, 12 a.m. to 12 a.m., which is what they do, they kind of give you um, you know a little breakdown of how much the United States spends on defense, and it also gives you a breakdown on how empty the planes were that morning, which was odd to me. Um, you know, it didn't make sense because I traveled. So right out of the gates, uh, things seem weird. I read that. It begins to, you know, put me down this uh, trail where, or path, if you will, where I'm like, okay, maybe I shouldn't be trusting these people. They had another website called www.911standdown.net. And it was really from there um, that I became almost obsessed with getting as much raw footage, as many raw files and newsreels about that day as I could. And that's what set me off on my path, really. Uh, you know, I was the guy, funny, you talk about getting to burn DVD and go in and watch it. Um, before DVD burners were even really a thing or commercially viable, I was burning CDRs. So little 700 megabyte CDs with folders of raw uh, footage and PDF files, et cetera, of like rebuilding America's defenses uh, for, from the project of a new American century, et cetera. Um, so that's literally how I got going and, and fell into this with uh, Dylan and Corey. And, and I like to think that we kind of pioneered that even before you could go viral on the internet and we were doing it simultaneously. We we're going viral on the internet, but we were encouraged people um, just like Alex had done to get our film, make copies and hand them out. And so many people across the world did that. And that was just vital in, um, you know, forcing people to at least address the topic. Don't get me wrong. We were largely attacked and demonized, uh, but that kind of comes with the territory. Yeah, it's really interesting. With that being said, guys. If you are enjoying this interview, uh, I think it's a broad one. I think it's a really good one. That's why we're showing this. Uh, <clears throat> this is uh, the Probably Canceled podcast. Um, over on Twitter, you can find her, Bridget. Um, I, I guess it's at Canceled Pod, I think, or at Can. Let, let, let's look at. Let's look it up. Let's do it live here as we transition to the paid part of the broadcast. We're gonna say. Uh, goodbye as we go, but let me see where it is. Here it is right here. Um, okay. So if you would like to uh, follow this person, you can do so. Uh, in fact, let's give her a follow. Haven't done that. Uh, let her know. And it's, yeah, it's the probably canceled and at canceled pod right there. If you want to support uh, this young lady as well, we're going to play the rest of the interview goes on for about 40 more minutes actually guys um really good stuff i really enjoyed this conversation because gets to do a broad spectrum 
we're going to watch that. We're going to go over a little bit more of Unzip Jeans. I hope you guys are enjoying the bro broadcast. And now we are going to uh, leave each of the uh, the big boys right now. Rumble, we love you. Thank you for being that alternative. Uh, make comments, Rumble. Thumb thumbs it up. Share the stuff on Rumble as well, please. Twitter, I, I, I could do without the muskernuts. Right, is everybody getting over the charade yet? Huh? Old uh, Chris Sky over there, he just uh, uh, went haywire, I guess, over on Jones. I need to watch that about the musker do. Good stuff. Um, let's see. YouTube. Sayonara, my friend. I, you know, I hope to stay on the platform. And Rockfin, uh, couldn't do it without you guys as well. So uh, thank you so much. Let's see if I've got my text. Not quite yet. Don't have the text quite yet, but once we do have the text, we will, in fact, go. There is the text. So uh, let's continue with this interview. And it's really, it was really an era before alternative media was even really much of a thing. It wasn't very possible for an individual to do, like, for example, podcasts. We didn't have podcasts. Um, there are very few alternative media sources. But I really honestly miss those da those days of the internet where I could actually find things. Like I feel like now it's so much harder to actually find what you're searching for. And it was really like a wild west, like raw. If if you wanted to go there, you could find you could find some stuff. So I'm really impressed at your investigation skills because it's also what you guys did with that project was not an easy feat and took so much dedication. But it honestly it really did change. The lives of so many people and I live in New York now I was living in New York City for a couple years and it's just interesting how if 9-11 ever comes up in New York City or at least where I was living it's like everybody knows now like everybody knows that it was an inside operation to some degree and they'll kind of like whisper about it uh, but when you know when your documentary came out, that was not the case. <laughs> like that was definitely not the case. So what are like what what are your goals with the work that you do throughout the past like 15 years or so? Like what are your main goals in in all of your journalism? Well, you know certainly with 9/11, I, I was pretty naive in those younger days. You know I'm 43 now. Um, but you're talking about something that we released in uh, 2005, I think. The second edition came out and then kind of changed my life through 2005 and six. And at that time, the goal was to get some uh, real criminal prosecutions. It was to get investigations into 9-11 and hold those people responsible and try to take back our constitutional republic. That is, I mean, it's just kind of a joke at this point, right? For, the further and further it got away and you saw how the system worked and you saw how many people who were upset because it was the Bush administration be completely and totally immobilized by the fact that somebody who wasn't a Republican was coming in and they were a Democrat and they had told you, you know, he was... He was well-spoken and articulate, and he was going to change things, right? We had hope and change. Hope and change was coming. <laughs> and, you know, I, I saw 
the same exact things happening under the Obama administration that I saw under the Bush administration. I saw an expansion of the war on terror. I saw the same kind of lies. I saw the expansion of the propaganda machine. Uh, you know, you look into this guy's history and I always say it like this, you know, at the time, George W. Bush was completely and totally the most inept person um, just from a resume standpoint that got elected as the uh, president of the United States. What do I mean? Well, usually when you're going to become the president of the United States, you ha you've been the governor for a long time or you've been a senator for a long time. You've been a congressman for a long time. Bush at the time, uh, you know, was a one time governor that didn't want to be governor, that didn't even really want to be involved in politics. Um, the problem was that he came from this political dynasty and his brother, Neil Bush, who uh, was the protege back in the 80s, got caught up in the BCCI banking scandal. Uh, they had Jeb kind of positioned down under in Florida. Right. Um, and uh, as the governor, and that, that's a power point in this country, Florida, New York, California, um, Chicago, Illinois. Those are those are big, influential and power points. Didn't want to get rid of him. They still had uh, him to run. And, and Bush really wanted to be the commissioner of baseball. That's literally where he wanted to go and he wanted to be involved in. No, he kind of gets shoved into this position. And they put pretty much the entire administration that was with his father beforehand under him. You know, the people that were really running that show were Wolfowitz, Rumsfeld, Cheney. Um, you know, you, you look at that administration and it's an extension of his father's. But as far as, you know, being the president of the United States, Bush shouldn't have been there. Then you get to the Barack star. The Barack star didn't even have one Senate term under his belt when he announced he was going to become president. So for those that don't know, this is a guy who was a state senator who grew up his entire life as Barry Sotero, okay, mm -hmm. <laughs> who literally changes his persona during the beginning of his college career to adopt his uh, uh, actual name, Barack Obama, his uh, birth parents, at least, uh, you know, legally, his mother and father meet at the Kissinger Institute, which is just a hotbed for intelligence, uh, you know, activity. His mother, um, you know, is a woman that's letting people take nude photos of her. So you got to wonder whether she's kind of like a honeypot operation in a lot of these cases. It's blurry. But you bring this guy in. He's got a false persona. And they had him speak as the uh, keynote at the 2004 let me say that again, the 2004 Democratic National Convention. So right there, you know, they're setting him up to be the next rock star. So a Senate term is six years. OK, he wins the Senate term in 2004, where he's the keynote speaker, where they had the whole gala ready for him. And then less than halfway through that six year term, he announces he's going to be president and win. You know, you think about that. Uh, it's no wonder that you get a Trump afterwards that literally has, um, you know, less uh, political political experience than both of those uh, predecessors. You know, I, I, and it's not that I think Trump is perfect or I'm a, I'm a big MAGA guy. Obviously, if you watch the show, I'm not. Uh, but he was certainly rogue in um, certain instances and said and did things that were outside of what the establishment wanted. 
And, you know, he did end up being largely controlled. He should have gone uh, with his loyalists. Instead, he didn't, you know, he didn't stop what was happening to Mike Flynn and defend him. He didn't stop what was happening to Steve Bannon. He got rid of him, right? He brought in all these other people like Bill Barr and Mattis and Bolton, which are the worst of the worst, the worst of the worst, and then complained about the deep state. Well, how about you don't su surround yourself with people like Mike Pompeo? All right. And then you wouldn't have to worry so much about that deep state, Donnie T. Oh, boy. Yeah, I am assuming I always assume that they just had him thoroughly blackmailed <laughs> and that, you know, there's only so much that he can go rogue because, you know, they'll they will just straight up kill you if they want or your family members. But, um, yeah, thanks to your documentary and me seeing that in like 2005, I was able to suss out that Barack Obama was a complete fucking scam. Whereas <laughs> all the other kids at my high school were like, yeah, Barack Obama hope changed. And I was just like, this dude is a fucking clown. And uh, so thank you for helping me avoid many, many psyops since then. It's, <laughs> it's been a wild ride. Um, and I'm going to try to segue because I, I could talk to you for like four hours. I have so much to say, but I'm going to try to segue into the World Economic Forum because I really do think that their whole project that they have going on is a very, it's very similar to the hope change Barack Obama psyop that we were put through in the United States uh, with the monopoly capitalists really trying to do like a woke imperialism, feel good, like everything sunshine and roses, a uh, journey into techno feudalism <laughs> and like actual neoliberal fascism. And this is something that I've been really trying to harp on on social media and, and with the podcast for the past year or so, because when you talk about this, a lot of people in my realm of politics will just say, oh, that's a right wing conspiracy theory and just shrug it off and do no like absolutely no investigation on that basis alone. And so I, I just want to put this out there as much as I can, like actually what's going on. And this week, the World Economic Forum is having a convention at Davos, as they do every so often. But you've been covering the subject on your show. Can you explain why it's crucial for people to be aware of what such an organization is working on? So for those that are unaware of what Davos is, uh, the World Economic Forum is really more of a mouthpiece for what is plotted and planned over the previous year and years. And they are the ones that are introducing it to the public and trying to legitimize it through heads of state, big business and um, other um esteemed figures, if you will, right? We, we still have the royal family in Europe. You have the royal family in Saudi Arabia. They're all represented here, okay? And actually, uh, from what I've seen of this year, and it's, it's much more limited in scope than previous years, they are trying to make it cordial and happy and sunny and the will of the people, and we're saving the world. But when you hear what they're actually doing and they're talking about, they're openly talking about a fourth industrial revolution. They're openly talking about man merging with machine. They're openly talking about a neo-feudal type 
uh, command and control economic system where you're a stakeholder in capitalism. We're all stakeholders. What that means is total track trace database. And then, you know, they say that it's going to be the end of the haves and the have nots, but not of the have everythings. Okay. So the have everythings get to decide what the system is and how much you're allowed. And your social credit score is not only going to be able to uh, be based on your behavior, but your biology as well. So not just what you do on the outside during your track trace database society, what you do on the internet, but literally if they're able to get the surveillance under your skin, which is the next step in that, and really one of the main uh, objectives of the COVID-1984 nightmare, they can actually economize that. And why is that important? Well, it's important because you're hearing it from the World Economic Forum, but then at the same time, you have executive orders in this country on advancing biotechnology and biomanufacturing innovations for a sustainable, anytime you hear the word sustainable, run, uh, safe and secure American bio economy. And this talks about read write privileges on your biology and then using that information and that technology to create a totally new economy and i got news for people the term sustainability is a code word to these people how do i know that the chief scientist at nasa who's really a defense intelligence guy and a guy that's been around pre-Apollo, he's been around since the Gemini days, in 2011 openly stated it. He said, sustainability is a code word for the West standard of living plummeting as the Asians and their billions come up as they have. He talks about it being Malthus 101. And uh, Thomas Malthus is the uh, godfather of this idea of Malthusianism. How much is a life worth? What's it really valued at, and this can bring you back to neo-feudal times because royalty loved it because it basically said there's too many people doing too many things and they need somebody to regulate them. He then goes on to say that they, whoever they are, military industrial complex, may instigate world, and world is at the forefront of this, world population control that changes everything. Now, my question to you would be, and him, who are they? And do I get to decide whether or not we are going to instigate population control on a global populace? You know, no one seems to define that. Yeah, I, this is also something that's been really interesting to me in the past year is this whole like uh, green energy, like the scam that they're running. Uh, with sustainability, for example, what they're doing in Africa, really trying to keep Africa completely underdeveloped and telling telling villages tell, and telling countries that they cannot do certain things. For example, oh, you cannot open this nuclear power plant because it's not green enough. And in that way, they're able to like keep their boots on the necks of all the people of Africa, but under the guise of sustainability, under the guise of like Greta Thunberg <laughs> and, like, and uh, that they're the good guys for keeping these, these impoverished nations intentionally underdeveloped so that they can continue extracting from them. And I just saw also, I can think of so many examples of this. I'll try not to talk too long. 
I just saw also that there was a recent defense bill proposed by the U.S. government, and one of the objectives in the bill was to, you know, increase sustainability and increase economic or um, ecological health of certain areas by keeping human population to a minimum, as in make sure that people aren't giving birth in these certain regions, which is like, okay, well, what are you going to do to ensure that people don't continue to give birth? And I mean, I have my own personal list of things they do in order to achieve that. But this is really, it's really on a global scale. And it's alarming how many, how many people I speak about this with, and they just think I'm totally fucking crazy. Like they just think I'm, I'm, I'm a bad, evil person who hates paper straws for some reason, you know. But we saw Greta Thunberg's uh, recent fake arrest. Was that yesterday? <laughs> I think she was fake arrested at a protest yesterday, and they had like a whole photo shoot for her. And man, yeah. So who who's funding all this? Is it is it like like you said, the military industrial complex, big tech, DARPA, like? What do you think the major players are? Well, I'll tell you what, you know, for instance, I brought up um, NASA, right? And a lot of people think that that's just a space agency. But then I actually show them the documentation. And, you know, one of the most telling documents I think that I've ever come across in all of my research is this document by this Bushnell character from 2001, pre 9-11. And in it, okay, it's it's a future strategic issues and future warfare document. Okay. And it tells you to get to 2025. Now, when you look at this, talks about the enemy after next, the bots, borgs, and humans welcome you to 2025 AD. All of a sudden you can see DARPA, the CIA, the FBI, even the Australian DOD, all of these people and all their research comes together in this nice little document from 20 plus years ago. It tells you that everything they're about to talk about Existing data, trends, analysis, technology is real. It is not pixie dust. And they tell you also that basically uh, it takes about 15 years to pro, uh, produce new technology, new procurement decisions. But then we inventory those for about 40 plus years okay, before they come out and they become commercialized. And in this, I mean, you're... They're, they're talking about how bad we are. The crew are on Spaceship Earth plundering the ship's supplies, tinkering with the temperature and life support controls, still looking for the instruction manual, engaging in bloody skirmishes in every corner of the vessel. And here's the key, increasing the size of the crew by 2 million per week. So NASA is hugely involved in the climate agenda. They're telling you that humans have taken over the vastly uh, shortened evolution of the planet. In other words, we're bad because we're causing global warming, pollution, and deforestation, but we're good because we're going to genomically design and repair the entire species. <laughs> In fact, we're going to create products and life forms that are cross-species molecular, molecular breeding and directed evolution. Okay, and in this document, I want to just show some of the highlights. It's 113 pages. I encourage everybody uh, to, to uh, read it. Let's see. World pop. Let's see if we can find that one part. Nope, because I didn't get the D in there. World pop. So there it is right there. Stabilization 
of the world population, i.e., changes everything, altered political, military outlooks worldwide. This is something he echoed in that 2011 speech that I was talking about. They talk about what? CNN syndrome. So you, you, you look at this, I can't even make it up. CNN syndrome is a term that came out of uh, the original Gulf War, okay? And they want to exploit that syndrome. What is it? exploit CNN syndrome. So in other words, utilize television and media coverage via CNN and others later to what? Capture and torture Americans in living color on prime time. Terror attacks within the continental United States, binary, biological, critical infrastructure, takedowns, and then serious psychological warfare and exploiting collateral damage. In other words, exploiting the lives of 3,000 Americans that we just killed on national TV. Again, this document is pre-9-11 by several months. That's not even close to the only thing. So if you uh, look at the um, eras of humankind, humankind, is it, do they have it in two words or one? One. Um, this is early in the document, and I, and I find this stunning. They tell you, again, in 2001, that the bio-nano era will start in 2020. They don't know how long it's going to last, but the next era is the virtual era. And that is literally them telling you that past transhumanism, you're going to upload your consciousness into a machine, into some virtual environment. Well, here's the thing. I get it. Bio-nanotechnology was around well before 2020. What they hadn't done is injected people with bio nanotechnology on a scale until 2020. No matter what you think of the hate and lie shots that were produced by the Defense Department through a partnership of DARPA and Moderna all the way back in 2013 with strategic collaborators like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, BARDA, um, AstraZeneca, Merck, and others. Okay, no matter what you think about that, it was bio nanotechnology they put in all the shots, whether it's vector-based or mRNA. These are not traditional va vaccines. And somehow this guy in 2001 knows the bio nano era will, will start in 2020. Now, they're not sure how long it's going to last. But the next thing they want to take human beings into is the virtual era. And that should let us circle right back to Davos and the World Economic Forum, because what did Klaus Bouncehaus put out just yesterday over on Forbes? A vision for a global collaboration village via what? The metaverse, which the World Economic Forum has already partnered with. They have an entire space based on the initiative for VR, Last year, they had two different forums on the metaverse. They want to take it from theory to practice. They want a metaverse governance, and they want to generate what? Economic and societal value, your social credit score, get you along with the carbon credit system and their global values. And even here, when you look at their chart of setting the rules for the metaverse, what are they concerned with? Global governance. That one's hard to read, uh, but anybody can go check out uh, exactly what they're saying and doing via the World Economic Forum and the metaverse. I, I promise you, uh, this isn't going anywhere, folks. It's not going anywhere. Um, and, and the other thing that's being pushed, while they're push, pushing this virtual stuff, and anybody that's paying attention can check it out, is this 
transgender movement. And there's a reason for that as well. When we talk about the World Economic Forum, okay, and we talk about the United Nations and we talk about the World Health Organization, they're really all together. And they have this new uh, Health for Peace and Peace for Health initiative. And they're very concerned now about gender and health, the World Health Organization, okay? So the WHO has also announced that they've uh, changed um, what they're go going to do and they're going to start promoting the gender ideology. Uh, Biden has said that essentially the United States will be a haven for trans kids. And this is all to push you away from your own biology, your own humanity, okay, and push you into a transhumanist movement. In fact, there's a book all about it. It's called From oh, Transgender to Transhuman, a Manifesto on the Freedom of Form. This is written by the most powerful, tra richest transgender person on the planet. This person owns United Therapeutics. So on one end of the spectrum of transhumanism, printing organs, growing them in pigs, xenotransplantation. So the biological end. crazy when you just say like all the stuff this person's involved with, but it, like it, it's fucking, it's fucking real. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's totally real. And they have their own religion, the Terrasim yeah. Movement Foundation. This is the person, oh Martine Rothblatt, that was the CEO, okay, of Sirius XM. And they consider... Uh, Martin Rothblatt, a fully transitioned transgender person, the uh, highest paid woman CEO in the world. Okay, so this no, is they, they call him a female specifically. <laughs> they they refer to him as a female, yes. which is just absurd. Wrote unzipped jeans all the way back in 1997, where uh, again this idea that we were going to take hold of our genetics, there would no no longer be a need for biological birth is in there. When we get to the transgender to transhuman, uh, labeling somebody a boy or a girl based on their genitals at birth will basically be akin to labeling somebody white or black in apartheid South Africa, according to Rothblatt. And Rothblatt puts a nice little bow on it with virtually human, the promise and peril of digital immortality. In this book, we're talking about creating entities based on our mind files. In other words, the track trace database information that we all give up willingly through this and hopefully uh, through the Internet of Bodies that will create human-like entities that we give rights to. And this actually has a foreword mm -hmm. written by Ray Kurzweil, uh, the godfather of the transhumanist movement in many people's eyes. And uh, Ray Kurzweil also happens to head up Google's immortality division, Calico. Again, sounds like science fiction. I'll back it all up for you. You just saw it. Dude, did you know that Ray Kurzweil also has a a female Ramona alter ego? Yeah, yeah Ramona. Ramona. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Well, I have so much to say. I would love to invite you back to talk about Martine Rothblatt specifically because he is a very fascinating figure. I'm working. I'm working on a like a documentary, really exploring the work that he has done and him as a figurehead. Because I really feel that similar to Elon Musk, he is just a front person for a lot of people in the background with very specific goals. Well, it certainly has a and, lot of uh, a lot of support from people in the background, yeah. no matter what, including DARPA. You know, it's funny. So yesterday yeah. I, I was about to go on air, 
and Whitney Webb, who's done just amazing work out there on uh, Jeffrey Epstein, transhumanism, globalism, you name it, sends me uh, an article that she published at her website, Unlimited Hangout, all about uh, this uh, gentleman named Callahan, their man in Wuhan. And one of the things that he was involved in um, from almost the beginning was this United Therapeutics DARPA partnership, which would also oh, obviously incorporate incorporate Rothblatt. Uh, Rothblatt also has heavy connections to NASA. We've been talking about NASA here um, because not only is it preparing you for warfare, but really only 20% is space travel. The rest is weaponizing space, and they've done that mm -hmm. through satellite systems, often introduced by Rothblatt. And that's what Elon Musk is there for. He's sending up Starlink, but he's also sending up Blackjack. And they're used as communication systems, but they're also used as weapon systems, say, in Ukraine, okay, where they have the highest concentration in the world of the dishes on the ground, over 12,000 of them, okay, that hook up to ghost and sidewinder drones that are used as death showers on targets, okay? That's what people need to understand. We're not going to the moon or Mars or worried about Artemis and they're putting a Snoopy doll on it. Be more worried, especially with rocket technology, about what they're putting in the sky permanently to surveil the rest of us and utilize weapon systems against they don't, uh, those they don't like. This was beta tested during the war of terror via the Middle East, via AFRICOM after the fact. We're seeing a lot of it even today in Yemen. We don't want to talk about it, but it's still going on. And they intend to have that as the global model, okay? Invisible death from above via technology if you step out of line. Yeah, you know, I also found some interesting information. Maybe you already know this, but I was in my research on Martine Rothblatt as a figure because there's there's a lot there, a, like a lot. Everything, every single link I click of something that he was involved in is just like a whole other rabbit hole and furling. But one thing I found was that he was in the 70s part of the L5 Society, which was like a a society that was particularly interested in. Uh, theorizing the colonization of outer space. And that eventually merged with the National Space Society, which was an organization founded by Werner von Braun within NASA in the 70s. So I, I have some suspicions that Martin Rothblatt worked with actually Werner von Braun, the Nazi rocket scientist, actually knew him in person. And I mean, it just, it goes really, really deep uh, how long Martin has been working on this stuff. But anyway, I'm gonna try to be conscious of time because we have about 15 more minutes before I'm gonna have to let you go. But I really wanna talk about Elon Musk because like Martin, Musk is very involved in satellites and defense contracting. And recently, as as I'm sure most of our listeners know, he has, you know, quote unquote, taken over Twitter, which I have I have a lot of questions about the validity of that. Mm -hmm. um, but what what do you know about Elon Musk as a figure that could be potentially illuminating? I mean, number one, SpaceX, it just uh, beat Boeing to become NASA's largest for profit vendor, Cash Patel has gone on the record and said, what, 
Elon Musk is the number one, the number one defense contractor. Where do you think his money's coming from? Uh, he increased his wealth by uh, 600% over the COVID-1984 nightmare. That was better than Bezos, Gates, Buffett, Page, and Bryn. While he was sitting there telling you, you have a choice. And, you know, I, I, I'm not going to make you take a shot. Tesla was printing up the COVID-19 hate and lie shots via CureVac. Okay. So everybody thinks Tesla is a car company. No, we had electric car companies before. Tesla was picked as the electric car company to prop up by people like Michael Griffin uh, from inside of NASA and the Central Intelligence Agency. And then they can still utilize Tesla for other defense contract work. Because remember, all this was run by the Defense Department via Operation Warp Speed for things like printing up mRNA shots and building autonomous robots uh, such as Optimus, which he did a uh, large-scale thing. That's aside from uh, Neuralink and the human brain, human brain interface technology that's also decades old. Now, as, as far as Starlink, again, it's being utilized in the Ukraine. You have heads of state thanking him for that. In the beginning of the conflict, uh, Musk was challenging Putin to single combat over Ukraine and fighting with the leads of the space agency in Russia right here, who then said that if they wanted to, Russia could nuke all of uh, the NATO nations within 20 minutes. And uh, that doesn't shock me because, again, the, uh, you got to love Musk's hairdo right here, you know, before all the <laughs> plugs and the, and the revamp. You know, Musk, also a big part of PayPal and his buddy Peter Thiel. I'm not a fan of Peter Thiel right there. So the first digital money has Musk attached to it. Uh, when we talk about weapons in space, I want to reiterate the Defense Department started weaponizing space in 1983, everybody. Okay, and they'll tell you it was a failure. It was not a failure. Lockheed Martin, very much involved in the Blackjack satellite program, which is an extension of Musk's Starlink and is part of the ride-along program, okay, with Starlink. It's DARPA's version of Starlink, and they are uh, doing those launches. SpaceX also launches military cargo around the world, which it gets there in an hour. I've got news for people. Military cargo around the world means weapon systems and communication systems that are what? Used in warfare. And uh, the Blackjack satellite program, by the way, and you can see SpaceX Transporter 2, it's all right there, uh, have names for certain satellites, including uh, the Mandrake 2 spacecraft. And unfortunately, what I'm showing you is really just scratching the surface. You have a guy that supposedly heads up all these companies from SpaceX to the Boring Company, which is digging holes for the military all over the place, um, to Neuralink, to Starlink, to, you know, to test. How could you possibly be running all of these by yourself and you're tweeting all day? Okay, and, and and they're telling everybody that, you know, you don't have a home and, you know, you're, you got invited to the World Economic Forum, but it's boring as fuck. I'm not going there. I'm the coolest ever. Listen, this guy <laughs> is a total and complete cutout and he checks every single box on the agenda. They made this guy at one point the man of the year for Time Magazine. And when I say one point, one point not so long ago, he was 2021's. Man of the year. And 
He also pushes the idea of you living in a pod. We've got the Tesla trailer pod here for only $15,000. So all the sustainability goals, all the carbon stuff, it's all under Musk as well, but he gives you a nice smiley face on it because he doesn't talk about population control. And he says that that's a myth. It's almost the same thing with Ray Kurzweil. You know, Kurzweil also comes out and says that overpopulation is a myth and that we haven't used 95% of the usable land. So I guess you have to have some of these transhumanists out there that are going to sell you on the idea, don't worry, we don't want to kill everybody. It's going to make things better. We're the good transhumanists who just want to put chips in your brains and have all of your personal information in a mind file. And then, yeah, it's real. It's really crazy. Also, how they, yeah, fuck, I have so many, I have so many things I want to talk with you about. Uh, but especially just the the general idea of merging man with machine. And when you when you can like change the definition of what it is to be a female, or what it is to be a male change the definition of what it is to be human eventually. And then they're going to start giving rights to like robot police. Whereas if you, if you destroy a robot police on duty, then you can be charged with actual murder of like an actual human. There's so much they can do with this shit. And Elon Musk is just as guilty as the rest of them. Whenever I, whenever I talk about this, I sound totally insane, but this is actually literally what's happening but Elon Musk as a figure is really interesting because of his his cloak that he puts on as like, I'm the hero, I'm the good guy, I want to run for president, and I believe in freedom of speech. Like, what, uh, I took it really personally when he would not let Alex Jones back on Twitter, <laughs> you know, because he supposedly is for freedom of speech, Elon Musk is. But in that case, it was like a personal grievance he had with, uh, with uh, Alex Jones which is why he wouldn't let him back on. But what do you think of, of his whole uh, freedom of speech scam that he's running? Well, again, if you look at what he said, he said freedom of speech, not freedom of reach. So we still don't have the algorithms. All right. Uh, shadow banning is still obviously taking place. We don't have a document dump. How many uh, weeks and now almost probably like a little over a month later of the Twitter files. Uh, it's only been discussed in a minuscule fashion. And um, to Tucker Carlson's credit, the only mainstream journalist to do so while reporting on this stuff, he reported on the fact that they still have a plethora of former NSA, CIA, FBI, and Intel officers at the highest levels of Twitter. So yeah. until we get the algorithm, until we get the baseline of all these documents um, without a, a narrator, right? Not just the authoritative journalist. Obviously, I'm going to remain skeptical. Now, some of the stuff that's come out um, it is good, but really, when you look at it, it's nothing that a guy like me hasn't been talking about for years, right? There's nothing like super new in there where it's like, yeah, no, they were suppressing information about COVID 19. Yeah, no, they were suppressing information about the COVID 19 shots. Yeah, no. Um, they weren't allowing people that were talking about 9-11 truth to have the same access via the algorithm that others had. You know, but how, will we even get that far down? And, you know, speaking of Alex Jones, whether he's going to let Alex Jones on or off the platform, where are the Alex Jones files? We know for a fact that um, the Intel community reached out to big tech 
prior to Alex Jones being kicked off of Twitter because he'd already been deplatformed on Apple and Facebook and YouTube, right? And it wasn't until after his incident with Oliver Darcy where Alex was actually screaming at Jack Dorsey from about 15 feet away that all of a sudden he was pulled. Don't we deserve to have those conversations as well, whether or not you're going to let Alex Jones back on? So I'm pretty skeptical. Again, I think there's this narration around Musk to uh, paint him as a savior. I just did a really excellent roundtable, one hour on Elon Musk with uh, Whitney Webb, Derek Bros of the Conscious Resistance, uh, The Last American Vagabond, and of course, the great James Corbett of the Corbett Report. Where is that going to be? Is it published yet? It is published. Uh, people can find it. Uh, I, I don't have it on my YouTube. I do have like the first 20 minute teaser on my YouTube. But it's a little over an hour long. It's on my Rockfin. It's on my Rumble. Uh, you can also find it on Derek Bros's pages. And I believe it's also on uh, Corbett's page. Uh, you, If you want it, uh, actually, I think that my Podbean is, is the video cast anyway, because I do that th there sometimes too. But yeah, it's out there and it's totally available. And I think it's really worth a, a watch or a listen. Okay, awesome. I'm going to link that in the show notes so people can go see that because I'm also a big fan of Whitney Webb. I fucking love Whitney Webb. And so that's cool that you did that with her because she's like, both the both of you are like encyclopedia humans. <laughs> um, let, let me see if there's anything else I want to ask you about before we wrap up. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Do you want to tell our audience how else they can follow your work in general? Absolutely. Uh, you can follow me. Boom. I do like another 144 uh, with her. That's a fun interview for me, right? Because you go to her page, you know, once again, if you want to go follow her, check out uh, other podcasts. Uh, you know, you got uh, Marxism Revolutionary Women's Liberation. Now, you look at something like that, and you look at the graphic from behind, right? I'm not sure what her feed looks like or how often she even posts, I guess. Okay, so so active. Um, but, you know, probably some more left-leaning stuff, maybe. Uh, we got the feminist trademark. I, I don't know if I'd even uh, watch this. And, and you probably have a judgment, right? Sounds like NPR. Very intelligent person you know, told me stuff about Rothblatt that connected Rothblatt here. Again, unzip jeans, unzip jeans. See, I told, I promised you we would come back to Rothblatt. A re really good interview that covered a lot of stuff. Uh, was directed in uh, NASA very early on as Martin. I had no idea about that. I I'd like, like when she told me, I was like, oh, that's really, that's interesting. I, I can't look into everything, right? I'm going to, I'm going to be reading this more and more. Obviously we're going to get to this more and more because it is important. You know, for instance, when we were talking about chromosomes, one of the arguments in the, in the, uh, from transgender to transhuman, they actually go to people that have a, you know, a, a quote unquote mental uh, disability or retardation, et cetera, and have the extra chromosome as an argument to, of that. And, you know, there's a, a whole thing on chromosomes in this. Let's just read the back cover for folks. And hey, 
if somebody out there can find a PDF file, that'd be great too. I'd love to have that. Listen, I love having the hard copies, but the PDF files allow me to show you the quotations as we go. Like having the uh, PDF file uh, from transgender to transhuman is huge. It's huge because I want you to understand this is from the horse's mouth. I ain't the smartest guy. I ain't the most articulate. I ain't the best dressed, right? I ain't the most physically fit, period. I, I understand that. But I also understand that I can read at a basic fourth grade level, okay? I've lived 40 plus years. I have a decent memory. It's, it's okay. And I don't like being treated like a child and lied to constantly, okay? When I grew up, in my situation, I, you know, I opened the show talking about my brother. When I grew up, there were a lot of hard truths that were revealed to me really early on that maybe I wasn't even understanding or contemplating because I wasn't even like 10 years old yet, right? Kind of just go along with everything. As you meet new people, it's a new experience. It's what you're exposed to, nature versus nurture argument. But from a very early on, I realized that adults lie to each other and they especially lie to children. They treat you like a child, right? And I, as I grew up more and more, and I realized that those supposedly in charge that were supposed to be representing me, that I had been taught were representing me and doing good things for me, at least lied on a certain level, right? What do I mean by that? When I was probably, again, maybe 10, may, maybe not even, so somewhere around there, I remember UFOs came up and I had dismissed them, oh, those are fake. And remember, this is way before the internet, I'm an old man, so you couldn't just go on something and show somebody. But eventually I saw books with pictures after they were talking about that, nobody knows what they are, and it was fascinating to me. And the government, obviously knew something and was lying to me. And they, and they, I, it was that revelation that in some respects, they treated everybody like a child. And as you grow up, you kind of accept that, right? To a certain degree. But then as you start really understanding how the world works and how bonds and, and bridges can be built together, through hard work, determination, goal setting, truth, and, and and love, in my opinion. You know, love isn't always easy, um, but but really when, when you're when you're gritty and you love something or someone and you want to make it work together, you can push past things, right? You, and you have to in this life, right? And then like family is kind of like that representation of unconditional love. Like my family is my family, period. It should be that way. It's that genetic bonds. It's what they want to erase really with unzipped genes, but another argument. So when you realize that they're trying to rip all of that apart from you, it's not just treating you like a child, but they want to take hold of everything you love and change it. And they're willing to kill. Like my big revelation was when they were willing to kill all those people in New York. Going back to that interview, that was it. That was my wake-up call. 
I was willing to accept you were lying to me about UFOs or what I thought was aliens at the time. I didn't realize how intricate it was. Right. Again, limited amounts of information. I didn't have access to all these documents at a whim. That's that's how technology empowers you, by the way, instead of enslaves you. Like I said, fourth grade education, decent searching skills, good memory. I can remember these things. So as, as soon as 9-11 happens, I'm in my early 20s, and I start figuring things out. They're lying about Iraq, and that takes me into the 9-11 realm, all right? That's it. Gloves are off, man. Are You, you want me to maybe be in a draft and go to war? Oh, you want you want to militarize my country? You want to open black sites everywhere? You want to start with homeland security that's gotten out of control and now signature reduction? Nah. I mean, I, honestly, being that close to New York, having been in the buildings as a kid, having every single city trip I ever took looked at them because you had to because they were so gigantic anywhere you were, Specifically, remember going into the high rise of my Aunt Florence, my great Aunt Florence. It was my my dad's aunt, older lady. And just looking outside of her window and seeing those things. Couldn't miss them. I was like, damn. I mean, I was horrified at the time. Finding out what actually happened was so deep and dark. That's it. That's not treating me like a child. That's not treating you like a child, everybody. That that's like treating you not even like a pet to these people. You understand that the way they look at the the population is how like a low level minion, disgusting sex trafficker does to kids. They 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 just want to use and abuse your ass. And they look at you as feeble minded. The feeble-minded. I mean, again, you listen, the first paragraph, they talk about vaccinating to sterilize the feeble-minded. Right here. Give away the game and the forward. My goodness. <laughs> but, hey, you know, I, I talk about it. I back it up. You know, and that's, again, that's a Supreme Court back in the day. It's not like a quotation the author made up. It referenced it. All right, I said I was going to read the back. We're going to do that. I I do want to remind people who are over here on Premium, Red Voice Media has more shows coming up uh, Monday and Wednesday following this show. So we're going to wrap it up shortly. But let's let's just read it. How will we handle baby making and pregnancy in the next 5, 25, and 75 years? New reproductive technology, genetic screening, and DNA mapping have changed the 20th century rules in this revolutionary manifesto. Rothblatt loves manifestos. From transgender to transhuman, that's a manifesto on the freedom of form. Martin Rothblatt proposes a code of ethics to guide childbirth decisions in the brave new world of biotechnology. In the brave new world, eh, Huxley? The trigger for unzipped genes is the Human Genomes Project, a multi-billion dollar effort to unlock the secrets of each person's genetic code. This new genomic knowledge can be used for tremendous good, such as curing disease or unprecedented harm, such as instituting the kinds of master race eugenics already visible in Asia 
where social pressures force families to choose to abort female fetuses. Without a bioethics of birth, without a bioethics of birth, we risk creating a new kind of racism, which Rothblatt calls genism. Oh. Based on officially sanctioned genetic characteristics, unregulated genetic decision-making can open the door to invasion of privacy, efforts to eliminate certain kinds of people from the gene pool, or government or corporate efforts to gain control of the human genome. You don't say. No kidding. All right? So listen, here's the book. We're going to be talking about this for a long time to come. Just like we, we've been... If you go back to my videos... I've actually been covering like Musk himself and, and that sort of thing, maybe four or five years, maybe more than that. Uh, daddy no likey. And I'm not going to refer to myself as daddy ever again on this broadcast. I can promise you that. Guys, share the links, thumbs it up, support me down below, support uh, redvoicemedia.com. All right. Check out all the documentary films. Loose Change Final Cut, Fabled Enemies, Invisible Empire, A New World Order to Find, and of course, Shade the Motion Picture. All important, all hold up today, I promise you. I love you guys. It is not about left or right. It is about right and wrong. And I will see you all on the flip side.